This is our second week looking into a series called Living the Call Together. Whose idea was this anyway? Can you try to comprehend that going back into the eons of time? I mean, we worship God Himself. But God Himself exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is a community that exists through the Trinity of the Godhead. I don't know, maybe they had a boardroom decision one day. They're sitting around before anything was ever created, right? God Himself. What should we do with our time? I think we'll make the universe. Bang! It started to move, right? And then there was this decision, you know, let's, let's create animals. and Let's separate the night from the day. Let's create all the environment. And then there was the decision. To create mankind. Adam was created and Adam was lonely. And that was not good. Everything else was good, but that part wasn't good. And so he created Eve. And now instead of one, there were two. And immediately you had problems. (laughs) Somewhere in the beginning of time, it was God's idea to have community. Whether two or three or now what? It's over six towards seven billion people in the world. God loves people. And God loves community. Because God Himself exists in community in the Trinity from all time. But I tell you what. We can sure mess up the idea of community. We can all share war stories, whether on a local level in our family units, maybe with our friends, a lot of times, sadly, with our churches. What must God think? Scratching his head. It was a good idea. It really was a good idea. Bring people together who could follow me, love me, different gifts, different passions associated together, and they come together, and then all of a sudden, oh my goodness. Stop this commotion. Stop this division. I think God's grace is very, very good and long-suffering when it comes to the ideal that He had in mind called the church. Do you know what the word church means? It's Greek word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. You see this phrase, living the call together, We could just sort of drop the last word and be fine, some of us. We're just going to live the call. In fact, a lot of times in American Christianity, our faith has uh, taken on a very um, rugged individualism kind of look. You want to grow to know God? Then you pull your Bible out. You have a quiet time. You have your own personal prayer time, your walk. You serve Jesus faithfully in something to do. But a lot of times we ignore the grander vision of what God intended. And it wasn't that He was calling and saving individuals. He was calling and saving a community of people. The church is the called out ones, plural. It had to do with an assembly. It was actually a word taken from the Greek context of the day. A called out assembly of people. The church. If you want to be a Christ follower this morning, you have to know that it's not a rugged individualism fight. It's a beautiful, rich community struggle. But there is beauty in the community that the Trinity envisioned. And we as a body of people here called the Awakening are challenged to not just live up, I mean that's sort of oppressive, but we are challenged To follow in a pathway that enables us to experience that which God from all time desired to have. And not just on this earth, it's our destiny. We are living the call together. Not just as a local church, not just as people who are followers of Jesus Christ in the Temecula Valley or in Southern California. Not just the followers of Christ across the United States, but literally around the world. God is calling out a people of His very own. And those people are individuals who want to serve and live out the call that He has placed upon our lives. And so, 
if you are looking for a spiritual life, guess what? You are also looking for a community life. If you are looking to know God, then you are looking to discover what the people of God are not only like, but what they can become with your engagement at hand. So these few weeks focused on living the call together is a personal challenge to us as a freshly rebranded church and we're this journey we're on to say, how do we come together and make a commitment one to another before God to live out the call together? And we uh, focused on it just briefly last week. We're jumping back in it today. And it has to do with, you know, this concept of scary to some folks, some folks not interested in it. I understand that. Maybe you're one of them. But participating membership in a local body. And what does that look like? What does that mean? Not for the sake of wearing badges on our lapel saying, hey, I'm an insider and you're an outsider. It has nothing to do with it. What it has to do is say, I want to do what this phrase says, I want to live out the call of God upon all of our lives together. This logo here actually comes from the Alliance. I mentioned last week that we are a part of a larger movement called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So the Alliance is sort of short for that. You can call it the CMA. And the CMA goes back uh, 125, 127 years ago now. We looked at a video clip last week of a newly elected president of the Christian Missionary Alliance movement. That movement is in 80-some countries around the world. Uh, There's over 2,000-some churches in the United States that are part of it. It's not a well-known movement of churches like you would find with, I don't know, say Lutheran, uh, Baptist, or you you name your brand around here on the uh, West Coast. I'm finding there's just a lot of churches that are connected to Calvary Chapel, which is pretty cool. But you know what? It all starts somewhere. Denominations, movements all start. And you go back and you find here were some people that pressed down and started some initiative. Well, we are part of a movement called the Alliance. And that movement goes back, I mentioned, 125, 127 years ago now, I believe. I want you to tap back in to that idea that we are a part of a larger movement of doing things together. And catch this little clip actually done at the 125th anniversary of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Gives you a little flavor, just taking a quick trip around the world. For the past 125 years, Alliance people have been asking, Lord, where would you have us go? What would you have us do? Each time, he has been faithful to direct our steps. In 1884, he led us to the Congo. Today, there are two million Alliance Christians in Sub-Saharan Africa. We entered China, which continues to bear lasting fruit. Then Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and his church continues to grow in the Middle East. Then he called us to Argentina, Chile, Ecuador, in which the Alliance churches are now sending their own missionaries. In the Philippines, there are 3,000 Alliance churches new ones being planted weekly. In Vietnam, over one million Alliance Christians are now worshiping their Savior. We continue to seek God for guidance, and He has been true to His Word to grant. He is raising and equipping a global alliance to reach beyond its borders. Most recently, God has been pointing the way to North Africa and North and Central Asia, considered by many to be the last unreached frontiers for the Gospel. God is preparing His church for the return of His Son. He is relentless in His pursuit of lost people, and He is not willing that any should perish. We are privileged that He has invited us to join Him in this task. Be involved. Be devoted. Be light. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, But we should never grow weary of that great commission of Matthew 18, 28, 18. 
We are a blessed people to be able to participate with God in what He's doing in the scope of this world. He is calling out people to Himself. And we get to do this. You ever been envious of someone else's job? Envious of someone else's you know, place of location or what they maybe get to do in life? Climb deeper into the heart of what God has called you to do at this season of your life, in this particular locality, with this uh, set of relationships around you. Before His great commission, we get to do this. We get to live this call together. And we should never grow bored or see it as commonplace, this thing called the forwarding of the Great Commission. Now, this morning, second service, there's going to be a baptism for two young children. Why do we baptize? Because we are being obedient to the call of Matthew 28. Baptizing them. What does baptism mean? Baptism means that they will be identifying themselves with the community of followers of Jesus Christ. You see, that's why baptism is done in a public manner. Because it's not this private little thing, oh, I made this little profession of faith in my life and I don't want to tell anybody about it. No, by definition, baptism is a public kind of thing and Jesus Himself was baptized in a public measure because it's declaring your entrance into a community of people. The people called the Christ followers. The Christians. The Christians. I am identified with them. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to do that, especially when some Christians are sort of ugly these days. You're like, I don't want to be identified with Christians. Can I use some other word? Christ follower, I like that kind of deal. Well, you can get caught up on semantics, and yes, this and that, and those terms are used throughout the ages. But the question is, do you identify with the community of Christ followers? Have you done it in a public manner? But more importantly, maybe, is do you live it out together in a public manner? Do you know one of the largest, if not, I think, maybe the largest group of Christians in America? Do you know what the group is? It's the group that says that they are followers of Jesus Christ, but they don't connect to a church. I do this on my own. I don't need the church. I don't need to go there. There's, you know, things I have to do there. I don't know, sometimes it's awkward with this and that. No, the largest group of Christians in the United States are people that say they follow Jesus, but they don't want to identify with the church. What's up with that? I think what's up with that in part is that we have not taught well, we've not challenged well, that this Christian faith is not this rugged individualism, but it's a adoption into a community of people and we as a community of people are living out this faith one with another. Warts and all. Warts and all. One of my favorite passages is summed up in Titus 2. Paul given instruction to an emerging leader in Titus. And in Titus 2.11 he says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from all wickedness to purify for Himself a people of His very own, eager to do what is good. Oh, so there was that boardroom meeting. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create mankind. Oh, they end up falling and sinning. God chooses through His Son being sent to redeem mankind. He is still in the process of calling people to Himself. Individuals, yes. An individual decision of faith needs to be made. Yes. But amidst all that, He is redeeming for Himself a people. Let's just walk through this instruction to Titus. There's some things you catch with it. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to just a couple people. No, it has appeared to all men. 
And God is using all people so that that grace will be evident to all mankind. Every man, woman, and child across the globe, within this valley, in your neighborhood. The grace of God that brings salvation and transformation and hope has appeared in this day to all people. Plural. Plural. It teaches us. Teaches you and me, yes, but the word is us. Why? Because in Paul's instruction to his leadership, he was always thinking corporately because he was passionate about seeing a group of people called out, the called out ones to follow God. And so he's using plural all the time. It teaches us. Yes, I know it's a battle in your own personal life to to live holy and godly lives. And that's true. And you ask for God's power and transformation. But do you ever pray? Think about this. Some of you are prayer workers in this community. Do you ever pray that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, would help us as a community to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions? And do you pray that God would help the awakening community to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in our valley, in our neighborhoods, in this present age? You see, the vision, the concept, is not an individual faith. The concept is a corporate body of people living amongst a world that desperately needs the grace and the salvation of God. While we wait for the blessed hope. You know, so many times, I I, I got this feeling when I was a younger person, I don't know, maybe some of the circles I was around, or maybe just some of the things I listened to, but the idea was you came to have this personal point of salvation. You invited Jesus into your heart. And then you sat around and you basically waited for Jesus Christ to come back. That was the goal. The goal was fire insurance. Being able to get into heaven. It really didn't have the bigger, grander concept of the kingdom of God and all that he wanted to do. And even in the future with the new heaven and new earth. It was a very individual faith. And that individual faith really didn't compel you into participating in not just uh, a local movement, but a global movement of what God was doing. We wait as a community of people, not just as individuals. And we wait for this blessed hope, not with idle hands, but with participating lives, one with another, because He has called us out, as this verse will show. We wait for the blessed hope, the grand and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the one who gave himself for us. He gave himself not just for you and you and you, but for us as a community, for the community of people who are Christ followers in this valley. He gave himself for us. It's another plural to redeem what me to redeem. No, us, another plural pronoun from all wickedness. And to purify our destiny for himself, a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. That's a great three verses to memorize. If you want to catch three verses to memorize in your private life, that's what God's doing. And embedded in that is the grand vision of the Lord's return. But until the Lord's return, we're participating in learning what it means to be a people of God and a people that do good things and serve His kingdom purposes, not in theory, but in practicality, in our homes, down our street, in our work cubicles, wherever it may be. We are called to participate together in living out the Great Commission. That's why I get up every day. That's why I engage in what I do every day, and not because I'm the preacher is because I desire to be an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. But we have a challenge. We have a challenge because sin exists in our lives. And sin exists in our relationships. And brokenness exists in our world. In theory, we can step back and see the grandeur of how incredible that will be. The church redeemed on the final day and we're before our blessed hope, the one who gave his life so that we could be purified and who's called us out. But we struggle and we're challenged in the present life because of sin, because of brokenness, because 
There is an adversary called Satan who seeks to wreak havoc. And you know what he goes after? He goes after the beauty of community in a local church. I've seen it time and time again. And he'll start with the leadership a lot of times and trying to set people one against each other. And so we have a battle to live out the beauty of this community and living the call together. The one who is against all that God is for is against this church being a beautiful representation of what it means to be the community of Christ. He is against us living out this call together. He wants to isolate us. He wants to get us juxtaposed to one another, maybe broken relationships, maybe offenses that come up. And he works overtime. You know, a lot of churches are started because of church splits. Do you know that? Isn't that a sad story? The first church of such and such. Well, we're the second church of such and such. You go on, and a lot of times, even to non-believers, and maybe you're in that category today, and you're looking out upon the churches, yeah, what is all this? Different kinds of churches, different denominations, that kind of stuff. Well, part of it is because of the brokenness of churches. Another part is God's beauty in mobilizing new and fresh movements, like we're referencing with the Alliance movement being you know, birthed down of A.B. Simpson leaving, leaving the 13th Street Presbyterian Church in New York City. He left on you know, decent terms, and he says, you know, I just got to go reach the unreached of the New York City area. And, he, and then he had a heart for the world and started reaching the whole world. So it's not that all church starts are coming from brokenness, but a lot of times they do. A lot of times they do. And maybe you've experienced some of that. Well, we have to be not only on guard, but I pray we have to be proactive and how we pursue biblical community so that the beauty of what God intended is protected, but maybe even more so important, is the beauty of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forward in direct relation to what kind of community we practice. Apologetics is a word for the defending of the faith. You know, and I had the opportunity this week, maybe some of you saw me post it on Facebook, maybe you watched it as well, but um, um, my ancient professor, Ravi Zacharias, and, and Dennis Prager did an open forum in um, Phoenix concerning their breakdown of truth and civility in our culture. And so I watched that live stream this week, and, and I get all charged again for my apologetics and how to defend the faith and, and, you know, and, and how to go after the, the uh, agnostic person or how to love them to Jesus kind of thing. I get all jazzed up with apologetics. But I've learned this over the years, and it's actually one of the things Robbie taught us in our early classes. The most powerful apologetic for the faith that we have is the community by which we live as believers. I want a slice of that. I like that. And so we as a people need to safeguard the responsibilities we have as a community of people. And we need to devote ourselves to certain responsibilities so that not only is it safeguarded, but so that the beauty of the gospel goes forward in our valley. Now, last week I passed out to you a little booklet. And maybe you brought it back this week. If not, I have copies for everybody again. And so if I can have the ushers take the baskets that are in the back and just pass the baskets down the row, again, you get to get something rather than give something out of the baskets this time. So I want you to take um, the notes, and we are going to walk through a section I placed in this booklet on living the call together as it relates to the responsibilities of biblical community. And then from there, we're going to step into the challenge for us as a local body, to commit ourselves to do that. Some of you have it from last week. I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. Hopefully it will not bore you, but I'm going to read this section of what's in this booklet. And uh, that will keep us succinct and hopefully a little bit more pungent with the way that it is communicated. And so we're going to start at the top, the responsibilities of biblical community. In a phrase, the main responsibility of every Christian believer at the Awakening Church is to participate in the life of the body by simply following Jesus. You want to be a part of this community? Follow Jesus. We are to do as He would do and live as He would live. It's not very complicated. We are to uphold God's purposes for the church and to live out the ministry values of a deeper life, a communal life, and a missional life. 
One way to look at the responsibilities of a Christian within the local church community is to break them into the following four areas. All right? So you got it? Here we're going to go. Here's responsibility one if you want to be, in our estimation, a part of this local community called the Awakening, which is a part of the grander community called the church, the called out ones, people that God is redeeming, eager to do what is good. Responsibility number one is personal purity. To bring to the church a submitted, spirit-filled self. Our connection with the Lord is the source of everything we have to give to others. And Jesus made it clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. A yielded heart is a powerful tool in God's hands. When we become convinced that our own personal purity and spiritual maturity are the greatest gifts we can bring to each other, we will diligently seek God and submit to His Spirit daily. Now, behind this concept is just the reality of this. We are only as great as a whole as we are in part. You bring to yourself, you bring to this body, I should say, a submitted, spirit-filled self. Someone who is hungry to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably never thought of it this way. I know I haven't sometimes. Is that when you are in a backslidden, indifferent, spiritual, bum kind of state, it affects this body. This body is only as strong as the people who are passionately seeking God. And I sometimes am reminded, even myself, on a Sunday morning, oh yeah, man, my head's sort of been in the game, but Lord, maybe I've been far from You this week. Lord, forgive me. Help me, help me to strive to be hungrier for You this week, to know You more, to be in Your Word, to be in prayer, to be able to encourage and help other people. You see, we will not be a great, strong, biblically functioning community of believers that's attractive to a lost world, serving as a powerful apologetic, unless we as individuals come. There is a personal purity responsibility that you need to commit to as a part of any local body, whether it's this one or another one. Responsibility number two, relational integrity. To pursue honorable and loving relationships in the family, among friends, co-workers and neighbors and in the church. Neighbors and in the church. It does no good to keep one part of the body well healthy if we continually mistreat another. The unhealthy part can jeopardize the well-being and even the very life of the strong parts. A diseased liver will eventually stop even a healthy heart from beating. Our relational world is a lot like our physical body. We cannot afford to neglect any part of it and think we will have no adverse effect on other parts of our lives. A participating member of the awakening takes seriously Paul's admonition in Romans 12:18. So far as it up is up to you, be at peace with all men. We must pursue loving behavior with all people in our world and reconciliation in strained relationships. Though there are times others will not allow us to make peace, we do what we can so that we can say with Paul, for our proud confidence is this, that in holiness and godly sincerity, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. This relational integrity goes beyond having a healthy marriage. It goes beyond seeking to have a, a godly, instructional kind of home with your children. It goes beyond just this church community here. It goes into all the relationships that you have in life. Maybe they're relationships at work. Maybe they're relationships of friends. God is continually speaking to us to live in harmony with one another. Now, we know sometimes it's hard to have harmony if there's a brokenness and that there's still indifference and that there's sin sort of bubbling up, including our own. We understand that. But what this is saying is we are going to pursue relational integrity to the best of our ability as we are called and have chance because relationships with other people reflect the wholeness and the health of this very body that you are desires to be a part of. Now, the next little part here takes the passage of Matthew 18, which you could have a whole couple of talks on this. But Matthew 18 is sometimes used to help us deal with conflict, resolution to brokenness in the body. And it should be upheld. In fact, 
Um, as it says here, the biblical pattern for conflict resolution found in Matthew 18, we strive together to be known as a Matthew 18 kind of church. There is an appropriate way to go about seeking reconciliation and healing in relationships that are broken within a church. And guess what? If you desire to be a participating member of this body known as the Awakening, this is your responsibility because you are being called to a higher standard. You and I desire the adversary not to gain a foothold and bring division, bring brokenness, brokenness, bring um, gossip, whatever it may be, and say, no, I am going to deal with the brokenness and I want to deal with it in a biblical pattern. But because we each have our own individuality and we each bring not only our own beauty to the community but our own sin, it's challenging, it's tough sometimes to bring about reconciliation or resolve when there is conflict. I don't know. Maybe you're a unique person in here. Does anybody in here love conflict? What do we like to do with conflict? We ignore it. Sweep it underneath the rug. Hope it'll go away the next time we're around the person. But then there's still this unease. Or maybe the other person doesn't even know, but you have a brokenness because you feel that they've sinned against you. Well, we together as a community own up to the relational integrity issues of this body so that we can enjoy rich community and so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forward in attractiveness and a powerful apologetic known as the called out ones. And so a Matthew 18 kind of church practices what it says in Matthew 18, 15, these instructions. If another believer sins against you, and whether it's a sin or whether it's just some point of disagreement or, or maybe, you know, they don't think it's a sin. They were just being themselves, but you were offended by it. Step one, go privately and point out the fault. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Notice, step one does not say do an end run, go to some other people and talk it up. It doesn't. It says you, if you have been offended, if someone else has sinned against you, then you need to go to that person. Happens all the time. I see it happening since I've got here, right? I'm not pulling out. It's just part of the human nature. We don't like to go right to the person. Oh my gosh, that would be so hard. Someone has to take the lead. Man up, woman up, take the lead. Go privately. This does not need to be some public declaration. You go privately and you point out the fault, the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. Notice it says you win the person back. You don't necessarily seek to win the argument. It's about the relationship. More than you earning rightness badges to wear around. But a lot of times that meeting doesn't go well. Trust me, I've been in those meetings of you. Oh, that didn't go well. Step two. But if you are successful, unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. What that means is just take another friend, maybe a mutual friend of theirs, and say, Could, maybe we're not hearing each other well, or maybe we're confused, or maybe... We need some instruction pointed out to us in our own life. Step two is to take another friend. Someone maybe that's close in the situations, but sometimes you'll still have the door slammed in your face on that one too. Number three. Step three, if that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. I list here leaders and elders, but a lot of times it may just be uh, the person that heads up your missional community group or uh, a, a prayer group you're a part of. And take someone who can speak into this situation. It doesn't mean stand up in front and air all the dirty laundry, gather a small group together. Did you know? You know? Oh, it's all. It's a. I have a prayer concern. Here's my prayer concern. And really, you're just out spreading some gossip. Protect the sanctity and the beauty of the community of Christ. Because we are all sinners, there is brokenness. And we bring that brokenness into a community. But we as a church called the Awakening need to be a Matthew 18 kind of church. We're seeking to win them back, not seeking to win the argument. Responsibility number three then is this, organizational loyalty. 
to contribute to the church your time, talents, and treasure, and to be responsive to the leadership God has established. If someone is a participating attender in the Awakening Church, that participation will be evident. Other than attending services passively, what does your calendar show about your connection to the church? Would someone watching you over the course of a typical week acknowledge you were a player rather than a sideline observer? Is the church a place where you give or merely take? I like this statement. If everyone was involved with the same degree of passion and loyalty as you are, would this be a healthy church? That's a good question, right? Now in this, in the front part of this book, we glanced at it briefly yesterday. What's the mission of the church? What are the values of the church? You know, what's the vision of it? Um, there's certain leadership that's in place for a church. But listen, we know that we're not perfect. And what this is, is not that you're signing off on, yeah, I just blindly follow someone. I understand that. But there's a general consensus that you're getting out of the stands like we talked about last week. You're not only getting down on the sidelines, you're getting into the game and you're supportive with what God has brought. There's been times in my life with the authority that's over me because I am under authority as a pastor, as a part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that I have disagreed with the authority over me. But I have chosen that God can work through it somehow, and I've been submissive and supportive of that leadership, even though in that particular decision I may have been in disagreement with it. There's something about that, I think, that says it's not your way or the highway and everything, but I am going to be supportive of the leadership and the organization that I'm a part of. And I'm going to be in the boat, rowing the boat, not rocking the boat. I'm going to bring a spirit-filled, committed self to this body and see that things happen for God's glory. And then number four, responsibility four is interpersonal maturity. To seek to serve more than to be served. When Jesus washed His disciples' feet, He not only wanted to show His love to them, He pointed out a profound implication of His actions. He asked, Do you know what you have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. John 13, 12 through 15. Sometimes we fall into the regretful, almost infantile attitude of wanting the church to do more for us. But we are the church. If the church isn't doing something, we're the ones not doing it. And we're the ones who can make it different. Too often we slip into a consumer mentality. We shop for services we think are important. But we're not the shoppers at a spiritual convenience store. We're the proprietors here. Stocking the shelves is our responsibility. Meeting the needs is what we do for others. And in the process, we find out what Jesus meant when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Washing feet? Isn't that the servant's job? No, it was the Savior's job. And he told us it was ours also. Responsibility number four, interpersonal maturity. Seek to serve more than to be served. I love those biblical responsibilities. I come back to them time and again in my own personal life. I challenge us as a church body to those biblical responsibilities. I want us to be a BFC. A biblically functioning community of believers. You will never find fulfillment in your life, I believe, unless you are connected to a biblically functioning community. Warts and all. Satan, working against that community, tries to bring division. Tries to get us not to own these kinds of responsibilities. Tries to isolate individuals. Let them worship Jesus on their own, separate from a church community. But you and I are called to be devoted to the local body of Christ as participating members, I believe, in light of the grander universal church of Jesus Christ worldwide. Whether it's in the Congo, Argentina. Whether it's in Chile. Whether it's in Lebanon. Whether it's in Vietnam whether it's in Southeast Asian countries. God is at work around the world calling out a people His very own, eager to, what, to do what is good. And we sit here in the Temecula Valley and we devote ourselves as a local community, participating in that grander community for the service of the King. Thus, I challenge you, as I did last week, to consider becoming a participating, participating member of this local church. 
Time didn't afford last week. Maybe you took it home and you read it. There were a good number of people that signed the back of their connection card last week saying, I'm interested in membership. I give you the same opportunity this week. If maybe you weren't here last week, maybe you need to decide to think about it. Time to think about it. Maybe you need to go through this membership covenant we're going to look at here real quick, point by point, because it's got some teeth to it. But I want you to consider being a member of this church. Maybe you come out of churches that didn't have membership and you have reasons for thinking that you shouldn't have membership in a church. And I understand that because I've had those thoughts before at times too. But when I see the beauty and the grandeur, the community of God, what he's called us to, then I want all hands on deck. Let's commit ourselves to what God is doing. So if you'll turn back a page from that responsibility to biblical community to becoming a participating member of the Awakening Church, we said that there is the need to have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. As Lord and Savior, a public testimony of baptism as opportunity affords, if not done prior. Completion of a membership class for the awakening. You completed one last week. Guess what? You're completing another one today. Two classes. Wow, you're really going to be educated. A signed commitment to uphold the membership covenant. And then a personal affirmation and prayer from the church elders team. What will happen this week, those who signed up last week on the connection card, as well as if you're signing up this week, I'm going to be sending you a copy of this membership covenant for you to sign if you want to be a formal member, a participating member of this church. And then those membership covenants are going to be just looked over, prayed over uh, by the elders. If there's any questions that they may have, they may you get back in touch. And uh, the general idea is not to make this a hard, difficult thing or an awkward thing, but it is designed to make it something that has teeth, that's a true, legitimate decision on your part to jump in. And if you didn't read the pages prior to this one even, I encourage you to do that difference between positional membership and participating membership. But we list the membership covenant this way, starting with the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. If you sum those two things up, you got pretty much the instruction of what Jesus calls His church to be. We've broken it into the three values of the Awakening Church, the deeper life, the communal life, and the missional life. Let's read through each of these three values and five bullet points of commitment and desire on your part that you're agreeing to as a participating member. The deeper life. I follow Jesus Christ daily as my personal Savior and Lord. I affirm my faith in Christ through the public sacrament of baptism. I identify with Christ's life in me as my righteousness and hope. I seek intimacy with Jesus through Scripture, prayer, and serving. And I accept responsibility for my own spiritual formation and growth. Just a few sidebar comments to these. Definitely you have to have crossed that line of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior for you to be a part of uh, any membership of a local body. If it's a true membership in a community of Christ rather than just a social club. This is not a club. This is not an institution. This is the community of Christ. So you have to be a follower of Christ. And one of the two sacraments is baptism. Following through in obedience to a public proclamation of your faith through baptism. Not required to be a participating member up front, but you're saying at the next available time, maybe we can just open the tank up today if you want, right? I will um, give a public profession of faith through baptism by immersion. Identify with Christ's life in me. There's so much richness there. Our righteousness, our hope, is not because of any good things we have done. But the deeper life is defined by Christ's life in me and my life being found in all that He is. Christ in me, the hope of glory, Scripture teaches. I seek intimacy with Jesus through Scripture, prayer, and serving. Sometimes the word intimacy is hard, especially for us men. But Jesus is the lover of your soul. And He desires to be in an intimate relationship with you. And you need to be pursuing that. Like we said, we are only as a part at what we are individually is what we make up ourselves corporately. You seek intimacy through Scripture and prayer and serving. There's no one leaning over your you know, back to check off the boxes that you did it this week or not. But there's a discipline in your life to seek and pursue Jesus through those means and others. And then I accept responsibility for my own spiritual formation and growth. I challenge us as a body to own up to that fact. We as a church will be catalytic and encouraging and as a community of Christ, champion spiritual growth for you. But you need to own it personally, not expect someone else to make it happen. 
just as surely as with our children's ministry and student ministry. We want to be there teaching and giving instruction and championing following Jesus. But it's the home life that's responsible. Us as parents to give. So also as individuals. Our responsibility to own up to our own spiritual formation and growth. The second value area, the communal life. I honor God through personal and weekly corporate worship. I foster relationships of depth in a missional community group. I support my church leadership, mission, vision, and values and beliefs. I protect church unity by resolving conflict and refusing to gossip. And I pursue generosity through regular giving and biblical stewardship. I'm saying, as a participating member of the Awakening, that I'm going to honor God through personal worship and come and be engaged in corporate worship. I was told this last week that I was harder on the first service than I was the second service about being here on Sunday mornings. Maybe I was. Maybe you needed it. I don't know. Or maybe I just got a little scared of the second service. But you are owning the need to be a part of the corporate worship time. Um, we don't do attendance. But like we said this week, it may be you that's able to encourage and reach out to someone else. We come as participating worshipers, not as spectators in a service. It's valuable for you to be here on a Sunday morning. I foster relationships of depth. I love that phrase. In a missional community group, a small group, mid-size, oikos. We've talked about that some. We'll be talking about it more. But you have a group of people that you really are building those relationships with and are able to be there and care for you and you can do ministry and life together. I support my church leadership, mission, value, vision, values, and beliefs. Um, at the back of this is a statement of the doctrine of belief in general. I'm on board with that. There may be nuances of that statement of faith. A lot of membership classes spend their whole time talking about the doctrine of faith, right? Making sure everybody's lined up with all the I's dotted and T's crossed theologically, all right? There's a statement of faith. We own that. It's basic evangelical church statement of faith, all right? But I am more interested in us being aligned philosophically a lot of times in what we are doing more than making sure that we all have the same doctrine in this church and the same exact beliefs. We major on the majors. We're charitable on some of the extemporaneous or, um, I don't want to say trivial, but some of the more minor points of the faith at times. And that doctrine of uh, faith is listed there. Already made the statement about the leadership. We're not always perfect, but it's a general I'm support of what's happening, mission, vision, and values. I protect church unity by resolving conflict, refusing to gossip. It's heart and soul, what we just walked through with a Matthew 18 kind of church. And I pursue generosity through regular giving and biblical stewardship. Again, nobody's checking that out. But we as a people desire to be a generous body of people. And there's a statement on Christian giving that's in this booklet. I encourage you to not only read it, but to study it and to pray about it. Because we as a body are committing ourselves to pursue what the Scriptures teach concerning stewardship and a spirit of generosity. Not only to the movement of what God's doing through this local church, but to have a spirit of generosity towards all people. And then the missional life. I seek to develop a servant's heart in helping others in the body. I share my life and faith with those who do not follow Jesus Christ. I participate on a ministry team and regularly serve my church. I invite others to church and warmly engage those who visit. I commit to doing my part in being on mission in my community during the week and involved in the task of global evangelization. A servant's heart is what we need to bring at every turn. You're committing to share not only your faith, but you share your life first before you share your faith many a times with those who are around you, who those who need to follow Christ. You're choosing to participate on a ministry team and to serve regularly in this church. It would be expected that every participating member, that, that you're on board. It was great to hear from Julie Cox this week, our children's director. She says, I have got tons of people that have signed up to help with VBS, Vacation Bible School. And, and that is just so cool. I even have the preschool slots sort of filled. Now, if you still want to help, then jump in. I'm sure there's places. But that was just so good for me to hear. It's like the body owning the opportunity of ministry that I have. And whether it's on the serving and connection team or the hospitality team or the worship team, and we can go down at youth ministry, all right, there is a proliferation of opportunities for you to serve. Work your way through. Some of you aren't all junior high teachers. We understand that. But God has a place, and you need to be serving on a ministry team regularly in the church. I invite others to church, warmly engage those who visit. 
and I commit my part to being on mission in my neighborhood, in my community, and involved in the task of global evangelization, just opening your heart up to what God's doing and making disciples of all people around the world and how you can participate in doing that. I'm mindful that there's some teeth to that membership covenant. But I'm also mindful of this. American Christians are a lot of times just willy-nilly. We need to get out of the stands of our good intentions, come down, be on the playing field. I challenge you as your pastor that we as a people, as many of us have feel led at this moment in time, to jump in and be participating members, which are charter members of the Awakening. Take the communication card, the connection card in front of you. Mark membership. There's a box on the front or just write membership on the back. We're going to receive those with the Lord's tithes and offerings as we close with a worship song focused on stepping out for Him. And I'm looking forward to the day, probably the latter part of the summer, where we have this big prayer of blessing upon all those who have chosen to cross over the line and become the charter, inaugural, founding members, I don't care what you call it, participating members of this body. That's going to scare the devil. You just need to know it. Amen? Will you pray with me and the worship team will come. Lord, we ask that this morning you would enable us to know what it means to be a fully devoted follower to you. And Lord, though there's 15 bullet points that have been outlined here and what we have chosen to articulate as the participating membership covenant of this church, we know that you see past everything and you see the heart. But we pray, God, that you would take those hearts that are yielded to you and Lord, make them malleable, mold them in to active participation in your community as you've envisioned it for this time and for this age. And Lord, for this valley, Lord, we as a people want to devote ourselves to you, not for who we are or who we can even become, but foremostly, Lord, for who you are and for your glory. So, Lord, call us to step out, to step out and to follow you. And sometimes it's into the deep. Sometimes it's into waters that are a little scary. And maybe this covenant is a little scary. Lord, I pray that people that you love, that you've redeemed, that your grace has reached, will choose to make that step. Lord, we thank you that we can sit and we can anticipate our blessed hope, your great and glorious appearance, and to know that you are calling out a people of your very own, having redeemed them protecting us, Lord, from all steps of wickedness and ungodliness and to pursue you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and that we as a people can be known as your bride, as your community, a people eager to do what is good. In your name we pray. Amen.